0: Welcome to The Auditorium, a portal to the fringes of culture.
1: Hello and welcome to The Auditorium with me, your presenter, Dr. David Bramwell, and my co-host... Yay! Hey, David Mountfield. Hello, sorry, I shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. No. Give me the willies. There's a lot yeah. of bees in the studio today. Well, there are.
0: that's kind of freaking me out, really, a bit. Why are there bees? There's
1: why... normally one or two bees in the
0: studio, but not as many as this. Yeah, no, and it's usually a metaphor. Th- these are actual bees. They are actual the, um, bees. There's Who is that in the corner? I don't know. Uh, hello. Anyway, she's, she's got an a- apiary. Apiary. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's nice to have an apiary. I mean, it always makes a change, doesn't it? I don't mind.
1: You? I don't mind. Hey, look, Dave, I've been listening to this yeah. new podcast. Uh, not not the auditorium. Uh, and, and it's, it's
0: fantastic. Know. Yeah. But it's
1: kind of spooky as well. And it's called Serial.
0: Serial S-E... No, no,
1: no, no, not, no, not that one. No, no, serial with a C. And oh. it's all about the history of... Cereal, what the, the bre- 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 breakfast? Yeah, yeah. What? And, uh, no, no, it's great. It's great. You know, that they they do so all they boring. do. They do no, no, no. They do Rice Krispies. You know, special care. They do, they do them all. God but the thing is, there's a twist, and that is, if you listen all the way through right. the podcast, yes, it invokes the serial killer and if you do a podcast yourself and you mention the serial killer no this is true and you mention I, rest, I saw it and, and if you mention <UBrimença> the serial killer during your podcast then the serial killer in the guise of the honey monster from Sugar Pos, comes into your podcast no no true <immers> comes into your podcast and devours your soul my dear Dr this is the most ridiculous nonsense <clears> no, 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 no. I've <gasps> ever Dave. heard in my life
0: Dave what? the door handle oh come come now Dave, look look logic ocarbons are oh it is moving. Oh. Well, uh, it's. it's it. what? There's got what to be a logical explanation for this. It's, where does it go away? I don't know. Ah, what the?
2: Ah.
0: Ah.
3: Show me the honey, mummy.
1: It's. It's Lansor, studio yeah, pr- my
0: mum. producer.
3: Yeah. Oh, that's your Oh, that's mum. what she's doing here. Yes, mum, mum, can I can you show me the honey? Oh. Okay, she's got
0: it there. oh, she's um, she's a she was an amateur yeah. beekeeper. Is that right? Yeah,
3: yeah. And we got uh, a, a council land. We've got turfed off, so we're just housing her in the corner of the studio.
0: Oh, that all oh, makes okay. sense. And actually. you want to look at the produce of her yeah, amateur. So I
3: want to see how they're doing because the bee's been a bit disturbed. Right, moved, new environment, bit sealed, less air. You two are in in here, so I just wanted to yeah see.
0: See, actually, well, show you the honey.
3: Jeez, yeah, that! Oh, funny. yeah. Well,
0: that all. Okay, that all, then, that all fits well, together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I tell you what, though, it it
1: does it does tie in quite nicely with with the talk that we've got for today's episode. I. It's James Burt who's who's giving a talk oh. called "Internet Monsters," and it's all about those strange things that lurk in the dark corners of of the internet. Those strange monsters and uh, and memes, things. and things, things, things that. And hunters, and yeah. so. Uh, So here he is, without further ado, James Bird.
2: When I first gave this talk, when I first started preparing it, I had appalling nightmares until I showed it to one of my friends and the nightmares stopped for me and she had nightmares, just like in the ring. So I take no responsibility for anyone's nightmares here. Back before he became a sort of media figure, Richard Dawkins was a very respected biologist, and obviously a lot of you may not remember back that far. But he wrote this amazing book called The Selfish Gene, which had the idea that ideas, stories, um, bits of art were also alive in the same way that genes are, that they mutate, they change, and they spread and turn into wonderful things, like the Lolcat Bible. But you always kind of wonder what would happen if there was an idea that was actually bad for you, Like, you know how bacteria, we're surrounded by bacteria all the time. Most of it's fine, but every so often you come across something that just mutates enough to become chicken flu or something dangerous. What if ideas are like that? This is um, Goethe, the famous novelist, who wrote a book called The Sorrows of Young Werther about a very mopey young man who is romantically disappointed, and... This became absolutely captivating for lots of people in Germany. And young men were wandering around wearing yellow trousers and blue jackets, imitating the hero. They were also imitating the hero in getting Lovelorn and shooting themselves. And there was a lot of course, to ban Goethe's work because it was too dangerous for young minds. The song Gloomy Sunday, the um, famous suicide song. This is a piece of music that's meant to be so depressing. It has a body count. And there's rumours that people have been left this playing just as they killed themselves. And apparently it was actually banned in the 1940s because it was bad for British morale in World War II and only recently it was allowed back onto the BBC radio playlists. The song My Way. Um, there are six recorded murders in karaoke bars while people were singing My Way. Again, like the My Way killings are this famous idea of this. There are also things like this, which is um, the McCullough effect. Um, when you, I imagine most of you when staring this will just see black lines with white lines between them. But if you prime yourself through this thing called the McCuller effect, you look at the image on the left for a bit, then the one on the right, keep swapping for a bit, and then look back at the original image, it starts looking like coloured fringes. So you can actually reprogram the brain. The weird thing is if you look at the um, two images back and forth for 15 minutes, the effect lasts three and a half months. You can actually crash your brain in a certain way that it starts seeing shapes differently. And these things are known as brown notes. The idea being that um, there's a legend that there's a certain musical frequency that when played strikes the resonant frequency of the human bowel, causing it to open uncontrollably. And these things are known as brown notes to the thought that they can have a physical or mental effect. The noted scientific journal, the Daily Mail, talked about eye dosing. Eye dosing was this idea that there are certain things you can watch on YouTube, these things called binaral beats, oral beats perhaps, um, they will actually make you high. You can watch a YouTube video, listen to it on headphones and get high. And the Oklahoma um, narcotics division were warning parents that this is actually quite a serious matter. That you know, if your kids are playing with these sort of eye dosing videos, it's quite dangerous. And brown notes are a common thing in creepypasta. Now creepypasta is online horror stories that people write. And a lot of them tend to focus around computer games that can cause you harm, about weird things that happen on Facebook episodes of TV shows that had to be suppressed because they were so horrific. Creepypasta, the name emerges from copypasta, so this is the sort of things that people would copy from one website to another, and they wouldn't keep track of who'd written them originally, they wouldn't keep track of where they'd come from, they just kind of appear throughout the internet. There's a lot of stories about TV episodes that have had to be suppressed because they're so horrific. So this is one of the sort of grimmest Creepypasta, It's about a episode of The Simpsons called Dead Bart. And apparently, um, the guy who makes The Simpsons, Matt Groening, had this complete sort of breakdown and sent the, the animators this sort of script that just got put into production, even though it should have been. Apparently the episode opens with um, Bart Simpson playing on a skateboard outside and then, rather horrifically, he gets run down by a car. And the whole second part of the episode is the Simpson's family in increasing photorealistic de- detail, sitting in the hospital waiting for news. And then apparently the third part of the episode, this long suppressed episode, has a graveyard. As it pans across the graveyard, it lists the names of the actors in The Simpsons who've died so far. It goes through all the ones that have been in the, those seasons so far, then the ones in the later seasons, and then all the future um, seasons actors who've died, and that, or who've yet to die, all dying on the same date. One of my favorites, which um, I'm not going to sort of praise you this one, because it's so good. This is Candle Cove. It's about an old TV show that's showed on certain networks in America, about a guy called um, Pirate Percy with his ship, the Laughing Stock, and a villain called the Skin Taker. It just unfolds as a message board conversation. So if you encountered this without realizing, just like, like just another conversation on the internet, this kind of playing with truth and fiction. What's real? What isn't? This is Moriana Mordegard-Gleskov. This is an image from a animated GIF sequence that's apparently shown to YouTube workers to train them because if this video is ever allowed on the internet again, horrible things will happen. Apparently, um, they can only show them 20 seconds of it at a time. The full video is three minutes. And apparently, the people have watched this video and then gouged out their own eyes and sent them to the YouTube offices at San Bruno. I think this is a little far-fetched, actually, because I can't imagine having the sort of presence of mind after having gouged my own eyes out to find an envelope, package the eyes, which have to be in some sort of bag because they're going to leak. And, um, so some of these get a little bit far-fetched, obviously. Aeon Magazine, which is a fantastic online um, journal, had an article called Creepypasta, How the Internet Learns Our Fears. If you think about the Internet now, it's, um, the human brain has 100 billion neurons, uh, neurons sorry, and that allows it to be conscious. The Internet is now probably at a level of complexity significantly larger than the human brain. Who knows what thoughts are starting to build in there? Which takes us to the Slender Man. Now the Slender Man emerged on a competition webs on a website called Something Awful back in 2009. They used to run these Photoshop competitions. They've said to have one, make an invent a paranormal image. So this was in, um, submitted by a guy called Victor Serge, and it, it's said to be from a 1983 photographer, who um, the name's unknown, but they're presumed dead. And the caption said, "We didn't want to go. We didn't want to kill them, but his persistent silence and outstretched arms." horrified and comforted us at the same time. A little bit later, another image turned up on something awful. And this was from 1986, the photographer, a Mary Thomas, who's been missing since June the 13th of that year. It's said to be one of two recovered photographs from the Stirling City Library blaze, notable for being taken the day when 14 children vanished and for what is known as the Slender Man. Deformities are cited as defects by officials. Fire at library occurred one week later. Actual photograph confiscated as evidence. Now, these images got dropped onto something awful, and everyone went, wow, they were obsessed by these images, and it was like, this is brilliant, and people started immediately making their own images about this, and sort of insisting, like, that there was something more to this. So a lot of people turned up and found um, old images, and adjusted these, and claimed that this figure went back to de Grossmann, that was the German slender man that had been talked about in medieval times. And people made massive amounts of work around the Slender Man. There was a video series called Marble Hornets that went online. Um, I think within a week, people making YouTube series about the Slender Man with um, Marble Hornets was about a guy who was doing a, he made a student film and then he sort of disappeared. I think and his friend took over and started researching the tapes and found there's all this weird artifacts on the image. Bits where the sound dropped out, bits of static, bits where other images appeared and it's kind of built into like massive um, alternate reality games. The Slender Man became this thing that just people just got excited by, and a lot of people started wondering if the Slender Man was real. So the way that ideas get passed back and forth, people start to forget where they came from. They start to change. There was um, a radio show where people kind of phoned in and said, "I've heard about this thing, the Slender Man. Is it real?" Now again, it's always hard to tell with these things, like with the eye-dosing, were those people really having amazing, like drug-style experiences from YouTube videos, or were they pretending? Did these people really believe the Slender Man was real or not? The story became kind of impressively murky and kind of fascinating. So, taking a sort of slight detail now to talk about real life and how fiction emerges with real life. This is a map of Bristol, and um, see just there, there's um, I think, Caninge Close, and Canning Close is on a square, there's a little bit of um, grass on one side, on the other side, there's Lie Close. If you go on Google Maps and look for Lie Close, you find this. So, as you can see, where Lie Close is supposed to be, it's not there. Lie Close is what's known as a trap street, or a mount weasel. They're named after um, Lillian Virginia Mount Weasel, who was a fountain designer. And Lillian Mount Weasel was a fountain designer for many years, and then became a photographer. And she did a famous series of American post boxes and lots of photos of American mailboxes and died in a tragic, tragic accident while on assignment for Combustibles magazine. And the thing about Lillian Mountweasel is she never existed. Like the Trap Street, it's something that people put into works to try and tell if anyone's copied them. So if you spend a lot of time and money working on a map or working on a biographical dictionary, you want to know if somebody's ripped you off. How do you do that? Well, yeah, they could just claim that they did the same research you did, except if there's a street that isn't there. And there's like several streets like this in London in different maps. Google used to have a couple of um, imaginary streets. So trap streets and mount weasels are a way of catching if somebody's copyrighted something. However, problems sometimes arise. So sometime back, the General Drafting Company made a map of America, and they put a lot of work into this. So they decided to invent a town that didn't exist. They called it Algo. Put it on a nice bit of empty ground where nobody lived, out of the way, so that nobody was ever going to like, try and navigate by it. Everything was fine. Until a few years later, the Rand McNally Corporation brought out a map with the town of Algo on it. Great. The general directing company took them to court and said, we've caught you red-handed, and they lost. They lost the case. Because when they went back to check, the town of Algo now existed. <laughs> Somebody had read the map. They were putting up a general store and they you know, wanted to name it. Oh, we're near a place called Algo. Doesn't seem to be much here, but it's a good name few other people set up around there, and by the time the Ramatinelli Corporation did their map, Algo was a genuine place. Reality and fiction, it's kind of a porous border. You've got to be real careful about these sort of things. Um, this is an English example. Google generated a town called Argleton that was floating in the middle of a patch of empty field. And as these things tend to do, it ended up on other databases. So for a time, you could Google for job ads in Argleton. There was houses available in this area. This imaginary town had been picked up by other databases that obviously put fake data in to look like they had more things than they actually had. And Argleton became a little bit more real. There's a database of benchmarks, um, Ordnance Survey benchmarks, which are used for um, cartography. And apparently one of these is on the Lillian Mount Weasel Fountain in Argleton. So um, apparently it was visited on April the 1st one year. So... Slender Man has kind of gone from this thing where somebody invented him. We know the exact day he was invented, but more and more people have put work into thinking about him. More and more people have become obsessed by this idea. And there's been Slenderman disappeared in computer games as similar characters in Minecraft. There are videos, There's, um, I think a major movie came out um, about this. And there's a fascinating article by a folklorist and occultist called Ian Vincent who wrote in the Fortean Times. Now, Ian Vincent looked at a lot of stuff about um, Alan Moore's ideas of idea space, the idea of kind of fictional things becoming real. And he was particularly obsessed by an idea of something called a tulpa. Now, a tulpa is a Tibetan um, piece of folklore. The idea being that if you imagine long enough um, another person, that person becomes, suddenly becomes real. And um, just to quote from the accounts of an explorer, um, this is Alexandra David Neal, who explored Tibet. Once the Tolpa is endowed with enough vitality to be capable of playing the part of a real being, it tends to free itself from its maker's control. This, say Tibetan occultists, happens nearly mechanically, just as the child, when his body is completed and unable to live apart, leaves his mother's womb. Sometimes, the phantom becomes a rebellious son, and one hears of uncanny struggles that have taken place between magicians and their creatures, the former being severely hurt or even killed by the latter. And this idea that, um, imaginary beings who become real um, turns up again and again. Uh, the photos are from Harvey the Rabbit, obviously sort of mixed in with Photoshop with um, Donnie Darko. This idea that if you think about an imaginary friend long enough, they become real. And there's a book called The Philip Effect, which a group of Canadian occultists wrote after they decided to experiment with Tolpers and terrible things happened. And um, Ian Vincent was looking at the idea that Slender Man had become so powerful, so ingrained with people's ideas, that he was starting to solidify that actually he was real. And there were other people who started of playing into this about what if Slenderman actually already existed? What if he was a being that was already there that somehow inspired this person to create the image? Which kind of fits in with the idea that Slenderman has these references to a lot of different folklore. Um, Sarah Anglis, who spoke on Saturday, compared to the Lankin, an English uh, demon. There are German demons that are very similar. This idea that the Slenderman maybe is kind of like does exist in some way and actually is gaining sort of um, intensity. And there were a lot of people, and again this borderline between reality and fiction, a lot of people had this idea of, well, if Slenderman's getting more powerful, perhaps we should stop him. And some people played it as a game, other people didn't. The idea that perhaps they need to stop Slender Man. So Ian Vincent did another article, um, I think about a year later. This is in Dark Law magazine, which is a fantastic um Fortean and Occult Journal. And all these people had this idea that they should team up together in 2012 and write stories where Slenderman wasn't quite as powerful. A bit dangerous if you're creating this creature that appears to be becoming more and more solid and he's got really, really great powers that you can't kill him. So let's write a couple of stories about killing Slenderman. And there's a massive online thing of people writing stories where Slenderman got killed, all on the same date. Everyone wrote these stories where he got beaten or he had to retire and just... Maybe that was a way of doing it. People found ways of mocking him. There's a fantastic video on the internet that uses a lot of the same things, the um, static, the interrupting images. And that video is Splendor Man. Which kind of just takes the mickey has an amazing, dense, dancing Splendor Man. So maybe if we just mock him a little bit. It just kind of takes a little bit of the heat and the anxiety out of what's happening. And this is the point at which my talk takes a slightly awkward tonal shift because that attempt to kill Splendor Man was incredibly unsuccessful. Two years later, we actually had a case where two young schoolgirls in America, in Wisconsin, attempted to kill a classmate and they become convinced that um, Slenderman was real, that he was controlling them and urging them to do terrible things. And this resulted in them writing, um, this came out recently, a picture from their um, journals. They were convinced Slenderman was real. This idea of this, you know, we know the date he was born, we know who invented him. He's even copyrighted to the guy who went by the pseudonym, Victor Serge. But people are so convinced he's real, they're prepared to um, commit crimes, uh, to commit um, assaults on people. Later that same year in Florida, a um, teenager locked the house, locked the doors of their house and set it on fire, knowing that their mother and sibling were still inside. These are like real horrific, tragic incidents that are occurring because people think that this imaginary creature is real. And um, in the case of the Wisconsin story, um, you know, this is tragic for the um, culprits as for the victim because they're being tried as adult offenders. The victim has survived and is recovering and they're going to be tried apparently as if they're 18 and sort of fully um, responsible for it. And... I think this gets becomes interesting because, as we've been talking about these bad ideas that go on the internet, and this idea that um, you know ideas like Slenderman, in the wrong hands, in the wrong minds, are actually quite toxic, and we've got the internet just generating all these ideas really in rapidly and rapidly in quick succession. What if one of them turns out to be the idea version of a um, super virus? What if it starts just wiping people out? I mean, um, you know, there's things like the ice bucket challenge. Um, just um, before I set off to Wilderness, I found a fantastic article listing all the challenges that have come out in the last um, few years and how dangerous they are. Like the, you know, eat a spoonful of chilli, apparently which um, is not a very good idea. And, you yeah, know, tends to be people going like, yeah, yeah, I'll give that a try. And all the drinking challenges. Yeah, these bad ideas can spread very, very fast on the internet. And the danger of something like Slenderman is that um, it can get out there very quickly and very strongly. Would I say that... um You know, it's possible that the internet could produce an entity so powerful and so um, just spontaneously generate something so dangerous that it could wipe out the whole of humanity. I'll stick out my neck here and say it's a definite possibility. We need to be very careful of what's going out there on the internet. And um, just to round off, I think one of the fascinating things, everyone talks about how storytelling and everything and oral history are dying on the internet, but I think Slenderman really proves that it's still out there, just um, in a different place to where we might expect. Thank you. (laughs) Juhu, 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 juhu. <laughs> okay.
0: Yes, it, that, that's good. I mean, I, the, the internet is a scary place, though. When, uh, when we I, were growing up, it was all about a bloke who died in a in a brook in the hedge, you know, half a mile no, away. The, the story of the guy, uh, uh, of the,
1: the couple whose car mm. breaks down exactly. and, uh, right. and the head now, is banging on the, now on the it's roof. All,
0: now it's all... Um, my son, when he was younger, he bought the beta version of uh, Minecraft when it was still sort of underground. And uh, he became obsessed with Enderman, this character that pops up and that it's rumoured all his friends are saying, oh, yeah, it destroys all your stuff and takes all your credits away. And, you know, and, uh, yeah, it's, it kind of hacks you and you, no one knows who it is. And people think it might be Notch, the, the maker. People think it might be, who knows. But um, but then this character starts being real. They, they, they the, the game makers decide, oh, this is a good meme. Let's actually create Enderman. And he, and he starts turning up. And, and then he ends up buying... The, an Enderman skin off an unofficial Minecraft site so he can wander around pretending to be Enderman in other people's uh, games, sort of uh, scaring and the And But out those
3: there. spaces are just as real to... Uh, the kids, to the millennial generation as though, as you know, we had derelict spaces, didn't we, when we yes, grew we up? Yes, we went and,
0: into old barns and yeah. got scared by noises in the corner. Mm. And they
3: kind of go, I mean my daughter brings about stories about the the, the scary figure, Horrib Harid or something like that, who's meant to mm. stalk you on, on Minecraft and if he catches you, he bricks your machine in. It's, it, she says it's a hacker that breaks in. Mm. and things. Well, that but, was
0: the rumour about uh, Slend- uh, Enderman as well.
3: So, but these are kind of like, they're just the way that uh, the Urban Mist uh, uh, spread and, and like the, 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 the severed head being bashed on the top of a car mm-hmm. it's That'll exactly the me. same but the difference is yeah. that um, we can actually look at the point of gestation of some of these uh, uh, and, and where they've actually you know, inception and gestation of these myths because we can trace them on the internet so that the Slenderman, we know where Slenderman came from.
0: Yes, you had an interesting history of
3: Slenderman. It was from Victor Serge. Yes. On the Something Awful forums in about 2009. And he said to a group of people, they were making, trying to make fake like paranormal photographs. And he said, oh, let's, uh, I'll make a couple. And he made a couple and gave them a backstory. The, the, the sort of yeah. shadowy figure in the background with some children. He gave stories is behind it image. Is the
0: one that... Uh, James was talking about
3: yeah
1: the one, yeah. The one in the playground
3: but yeah. the but the but the the, the thing is that Serge was kind of very open and said anyone can join in and for about a month it went ballistic and loads of people grew this myth together right. and then a group of people who made some films called the Marble Hornet series which if you imagine it's like Blair Witchcross with Slenderman online lots of short found footage films and then they became so successful so quickly they became canon and then the people the 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 sort of group growing of this myth sort of became challenged because anything that was in marble hornets became canonical and then the surges, yeah, on, when
0: you, when you say, Who decides on the internet what's canonical, what isn't?
3: I think it's on mass, isn't it? So there's so still
1: feet. a mystery there. Even if you can trace it back to a person manipulating a, an image, we still don't understand what it is about the human psyche that certain things just tap into a certain darkness and they just explode, like the urban myths.
0: Yeah.
3: No, yeah. that's... Yeah, that's very much... I mean, that's the kind of... as a. You know, the, from research point of view, that's a lot better. That was good, David. Thanks. Yes, really good. It's like
0: he knew what he was talking
3: about. And, there, and that kind of... And what the internet gives you is that ability also to cross the fourth wall. That that the, the real world and the fantastical world or the constructed world is completely permeable.
0: Well, now it's going to get weirder, isn't it? Because, of course, uh, Oculus Rift, which is enormously expensive, apparently uh, Xbox uh, or, or, or other manufacturers are available, um, uh, have come up with a £300 version. So we're going to be in totally immersive worlds... Having the bejesus scared out of us by uh, strange um, internet things. I mean, it gets more sinister the less official you get as well. You were telling me about uh,
3: well, Pedo Bear. What you? I mean, like, <laughs> and an example yeah was the Pedo yeah. P- P- Bear is a, a kind of online meme with a picture of a happy bear with sort of slightly edgy, sinister comments that uh, teenagers sort of circulate. Uh, the way of sort of satirizing pedophile behaviour and sort of satirizing perhaps their fear of it and it...
0: satirizing pedophile
3: behaviour. It's sort of I think there's a I control you. thing. But I think the, if you're the, the, grown the, the, up and you're taught to fear these people, and yeah. then it's sort of taking control. Well, this is it's what James said. They it. did the yes. same with
1: Slenderman. Yeah. yeah, it's taking control. It's, it's in a similar way to the you know back in the eighties when the gay community appropriated words that were used against them and, like and yeah and, and, to, yeah. and to, you know turn them in their favour. But the,
3: and the, the the Peter Bear thing crossed the the line when then people then people started dressing up as Peter Bear and going out and uh, to events and uh, and and so on and sort of what's the way to put it pranking the events by dressing up as this bear and then. You know, going to kids' conventions, and of course, then the Daily Mail gets hold of this and says paedophiles are going out dressed up as a bear, and then the the Daily Mail believes that that's what paedophile behaviour is, and what was a meme has now crossed the line again. It's exactly the same as. Uh, but of course, Thunder that means Man. that
0: eventually it will become that that there will be one or two paedophiles who go. This is terrific. This is terrific cover. For my paedophilia, I can I can hiding and in playing inside again, and I can uh, you know I can prank people. We're talking about pl-
1: playing into fears here. I mean, the, the Daily Mail is, a, is is an entirely different entity, isn't it, to to the internet? And yet, it, it sort of it, ah. it, it it does a similar thing. <clears throat> it plays into people's fears and paranoias. Yes, it
0: does. You're absolutely right. But on the internet, the Daily Mail on the uh, the Daily Mail online. Is a completely different creature. It's Daily
1: Mail Light, isn't and, it?
0: No, it it takes a different political stance and everything,
1: uh, because well, instead of extreme right wing, it's, it's it's mild right wing, is it?
0: It's sort of yes, and quite yeah. often online. It goes, it, yes, Daily Mail Online has articles in it which you would never catch in a million years, because they know that the core readership of, of online material are a very different demographic to their to their readership. Mm. So they so they, they so that that's another thing that's happening. Internet is kind of.
1: Online, they're pro-Jeremy Corbyn, aren't they?
0: (laughs) There have been, you know, I kid you not. All over No, 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 they haven't. Yeah, Peter O'Born has been writing a series of of pro-Corbyn articles online. Yes, because... Unless someone is
1: pranking and subverting. well,
0: No, it's all about clickbait, you see. They want people to share articles. Uh, because in sharing the articles, that proves their website's popular and important. So they know that they can get more articles shared if people go look. If even the Daily Mail are saying it, this really must be a case. And boom. And uh, oh, so that's now there's cynical. It is, isn't it? But Your now there's thing. anti. Um, you can share without upping their click rate, without upping their share rate. There's a site called Do Not Click dot com. So you can take the body of the of the text of whatever's written and not give them the benefit of having. Uh, reached, uh, you know, a, a wider audience in terms of their statistics. So this started out
1: talking about strange yeah. creatures that inhabit and the internet, and how... we've ended up with a, a liberal middle class conversation about about how vile the Daily Mail is. And you know what? That's yeah. great. I love that. <laughs> Fuck the Daily Mail.
0: Yes, yes. There we go. But anyway, but note... but but
1: on that note, on that note, um, because no, secretly we actually we, we, we love the Daily Mail, don't we? Um, I wanted to share with you another, like, really creepy podcast that um, that I came across recently. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's called... It's called The Delusionist. And... The, and um, the, the, the Allusionist? No, 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 no. It's, it's The Delusionist. Um right. it's the presenter's called um, Henry Safari or something. <laughs> and, and, and... and yeah, I and
0: think that's her real name.
1: If you listen all the way through... Yeah. You've just wasted 30 minutes of your life. Wow. That's, that's it. Oh, hang on a minute. No, not The Delusionist. What's it called? Um... Uh the auditorium. It's 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 Dave Mountfield and Lance on the auditorium. Uh yes. Yeah, uh,
0: no, no, because we, we came across a new yeah, podcast, didn't yeah. we? This, what? This the, the, soloist. Soloist. What? the soloist. Yeah, the, the soloist. one where the
3: uh, presenter Co- murders gets- his long standing sidekick every episode. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. And has a better career. Chippy Northern Sidekick <laughs> I don't like the sound of that.
0: Oh well, we do. Yeah. Bees. Bees. bees, oh the bees! Are back. <laughs> oh
1: no, no, no! Where's Nicholas Cage when you need him? Oh the bees! Oh the bees!
2: The auditorium is presented by Dr. David Bramwell
0: and Mr. David Mountfield. The producers are Lance Dan and Andrew mailing You can discover more about the show at oddpodcast.com, where you can find out about upcoming events and festival shows. If you'd like to give a talk about something that you're passionate about then email us at contact at oddpodcast.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at oddpodcastuk. UK. Talks from The Auditorium are featured in Ernest Journal, a magazine for the curious and adventurous. If you like The Auditorium, then please leave a review for us on iTunes.